0: Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things saith that he holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh who walketh the seven st- in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks i know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou can, can, canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which they say are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. John would tell us in first John chapter four, verse nineteen, We love him because he first loved us. First John chapter four, verse eight. John would say, describing the character of God, God is love. God has demonstrated His love for us, and because of the great love that He has for us, what He desires is our love. God wants us to be motivated to serve Him, to live for Him every day because we love Him. And so today I want us to look at a church that quite frankly Jesus said, didn't love him like they used to. I want to begin by first talking about the reputation of the church at Ephesus. Sometimes people have a reputation in town or among other people, and that reputation is a glowing reputation. People think very highly of a certain person, a certain organization, a corporation, whatever the case may be. These people had what we would say to be a glowing reputation. And Jesus praises them for some very good things in their lives. As a matter of fact, in this day and time, we would say, by way of evaluating the church at Ephesus, this a pretty good church. Let me just begin by, first of all, noting that Jesus praised them for their service. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, what we have is a spiritual evaluation of the seven churches in Asia. And in his evaluation, Jesus points out the good things they were doing as well as the bad things. He gives a very accurate description of how they were in his sight. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus would say, down in verse 23, that he is the one who searches The minds and the hearts. And he said, I give to each one of you according to your works. So Jesus had the ability, that innate ability, to look at these congregations and to give what we would say to be a fair assessment of where they were in their spiritual walk with him. So here's what he said to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, that is, among the seven churches, I know your works. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, or your perseverance. Let me just pause there. In a very forthright way, Jesus would say to these people, look, I know all about your works. Down in verse 3, he would say that they had labored for his name's sake. So you get the impression that here were some people that understood the importance of laboring for the cause of Christ. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would say to the church at Ephesus, By grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that is, not of meritorious works. And so, verse 10, he would say, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, which God before prepared that we should walk in them. What he was saying to the church at Ephesus was simply, Look, you are God's masterpiece. You have been saved to serve. And so these people were carrying out their duties as New Testament Christians. You remember Jesus taught during his earthly ministry the fact that those of us who belong to him are to be busy in his service. You remember he said, I was hungry, and what would you do? He said, you gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and he said, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick, in prison, and you visited me. So here were some people that were trying to the best of their ability to labor for his cause. And then he praises them for their stand. And really they stood against two things. They stood against evil doctrines and evil deeds. Pick up with me again in verse 2. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear, tolerate, or endure those who are evil. He said, you have tested or tried those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. Down in verse 6, he would say, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So here were some people that were intolerant of evil doctrines and evil deeds. Now Paul had taught the church at Ephesus back in about A.D. 61 or 62 when he wrote his letter to them. And by the way, Paul had established the work at Ephesus during his third missionary tour back in the book of Acts. You can read about that. So here were some people that had been baptized into Christ and they were trying to the best of their ability to serve Him. He said they had, been, they had been the kind of people that had withstood that which we would describe as evil. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11, Paul would say, "...have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness." but rather reprove them, that is, expose them, convict them of what they're doing wrong. In a day and time when a lot of folks will let let evil deeds, evil doctrines pass, these people didn't do that. Matter of fact, they stood up, they stood against that. And there's a need today for those of us who belong to the body of Christ in a kind, loving way, because Paul would say to the church at Ephesus, we're to speak the truth in love. And so we stand up and we say, you know what, that doesn't fit the biblical model. Paul said, again, that we are to expose, convict those who are evildoers. Now Jesus said, they had tested or tried those who were saying they were apostles. And he said, you found them to be liars. The apostles, those who functioned in this capacity, were special servants. They had been chosen by the Lord, hadn't they? They were to have been eyewitnesses of the Lord. A second characteristic, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, they had the ability to perform the miraculous. He talked about the signs and miracles and wonders which they performed. And so these people had put them to the test. Paul would say, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. The litmus test, rather, by which they could ascertain whether or not somebody was telling the truth, God's word. John, who wrote the revelation, would say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then there was a third thing for which the Lord praised them and that is for their steadfastness. Listen again to what he says in verse 2. He said, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. That is, your persevering spirit. Down in verse 3 he said, you have persevered and have patience. And he said, you have labored for my name's sake and not become weary. Do you remember the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9? When he said, do not be weary in doing good. For in due season, he said, we shall reap if we faint not. Here were some people that day in, day out, persevered. They tried to the best of their ability to stay with the work, to do what they could to advance the cause of Christ. So, really and truly, by way of reputation, they had a great reputation. But there is a second thing I want you to see, and this has to do with the reality of the church at Ephesus. The thing that strikes me about the Lord is that he, he is very candid, very honest, and very forthright. And the beauty of what the Lord is saying to the church at Ephesus is, Look, I'm going to be honest in my evaluation. Sometimes we appreciate criticism. Sometimes we don't. I don't know of anybody that personally likes to be criticized. And there is positive criticism, there is negative criticism. Sometimes when we are criticized, it is in an effort to encourage us to do better. To maybe see where we're at fault so that we can get back in line. So here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, He said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Really an interesting statement here. In light of their glowing reputation, Jesus is saying, look, you have a major, major flaw. There's something that is amiss in your Christian life. There are a couple of things I want to point out here. First, if you would, think about how this is a profound statement Made by Jesus about them. Here's what he said Nevertheless, I. Jesus is saying, Look, the problem that that you have involves me. Now, again, we think about Jesus, the Son of God. And in Revelation chapter 1, John talks about what Jesus has done for those of us who belong to the body of Christ. He said, He's loved us, He's washed us from our sins. He has, as he would say in verse 18 of chapter 1, he holds the keys to the cemetery. One day he'll unlock those cemetery doors. And Jesus is saying to these people, look, you need to understand that there's a problem and the problem exists between you and me. They had a profound problem. I can remember when I was a young fella growing up and sometimes like a lot of, A lot of young folks, I would have issues with other people from time to time, just natural, part of life. But I never did like having an issue with my dad. Never did like having a problem with him because I understood the buck stopped with him. And if the case were to arise that I happened to be in trouble with him, I knew I got some real trouble. What jesus is saying to these people is look we've got some major issues here so first they had what we would say a profound problem but secondly they had a personal problem listen to what he says again nevertheless i have this against whom against you i want you to think about this for a minute Imagine sitting down face-to-face with Jesus. And as you begin talking to Jesus and as He is evaluating your spiritual life, He talks about some of the great things you've done. He talks about your service, how commendable your service is. He talks about your stand against that which is wrong and how good that is. He talks about the fact that you've been steadfast That here you've been out persevering, enduring, doing your best. But he says, you need to understand, we've got a problem. We've got a real problem. It's not uncommon for corporations to have evaluations at the end of the year. And typically, a boss will sit down with his or her employee and they'll begin to go over their work for the past year. And they'll talk about the things that have been done good. They'll talk about the things that have not been so good, about areas where they need to improve. And it might be the case, they'll say, look, in this area, just unsatisfactory. Well, Jesus is saying, look, first and foremost, you need to understand you have a profound problem. Because the problem you have is with me. And secondly, you need to understand this is a personal problem. The Lord is saying, look, the problem exists between you and me. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm not talking about your co-worker. I'm not talking about your classmate. I'm talking about you individually. So you think about all the people that comprise the church at Ephesus. And here he is, he's talking about their glowing report, and then he says, look, I have this against you. They had a profound problem, they had a personal problem, and thirdly, they had a passion problem. Here's what he said. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Here's what he's saying. You don't love me like you used to. One of the real dangers that exists sometimes in the context of marriage is that because both mates are not working earnestly to keep those fires going, as we say, the love begins to grow cold between two people. And before long, what happens? Before long, long, they have real trouble. And so Jesus is saying, look, your problem with me, it's a passion problem. It's a love problem. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, Jesus talked about the love of many growing cold. So, think about what he said in Matthew chapter 22. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Let me just bring attention to what he says down in verse 5 very quickly. In talking about their remedy, he said, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. That word fallen can be used for a flower that begins to fade. You can go to the store today. And you can buy a beautiful bouquet of flowers, can't you? And those flowers are beautiful, they're radiant, they smell good, they look good, they add warmth and love to a room. But over time, what happens? Those flowers begin to wilt and fade. The petals begin to fall off. Those flowers are dying, aren't they? They're already dead because they've been cut from their source of life. For a while, they're beautiful. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Look, your love for me is not what it used to be. I think one of the toughest things to deal with in life is rejection. And there have been husbands and wives in days gone by that have said in a very frank and concise way, Look, You don't love me like you used to. You remember when you got married? You remember remember how happy you were? What a joyful day it was? And how you thought your bride, your groom, was the best out there. But over time, something happened. Just don't love them anymore. It could be the fault of one person, could be the fault of both parties. But that love begins to fade. And when it does, it can be tough to rekindle. And Jesus is saying to these people Look, your love for me, not like it used to be. You don't love me like you used to. Now, again, imagine sitting down with Jesus in a conference room. And you're sitting there, and he's talking about all the great things you're doing, about your service, about your stand, about your steadfastness, and you're thinking, you know what? I'm a great person in his eyes. I mean, I'm a, I am a good servant. He said, but you need to understand, I've got something against you. You don't love me like you used to. Is it possible for us sometimes to go through the mechanics of of our worship and our service without love. You think it is? Do you remember, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 just very quickly. Listen to what Paul said about service without love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. He said, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, he said, it profits me nothing, or I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. All he's saying is, look, if you are serving without love, it's empty. It's vain. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer talked about their work and labor of love. Could I ask you a question? If the Lord were to sit down with you today and evaluate your spiritual life, would He say to you, You love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. I don't have any question about that. Or would he say, you know what? You don't love me like you used to. What are some earmarks of that? I don't read his word. I, I don't read it like I used to. The psalmist talked about how he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night. In Psalm 119, he said, oh, how I love your law. Listen to him. It's my meditation all day. Do you love God? Do you love the Lord? Do you want to listen to what He has to say to you every day? Do you want to get get a heart full of Scripture every day? What about your prayer life? Do you spend time praying to God on a regular basis, on a daily basis? The psalmist said, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud to think that we have the opportunity to commune with God through prayer, through the study of His Word. And then we come together to worship. We come together to worship because we are in the presence of God, because it affords us the opportunity to bow in His presence, to express our love for Him and to Him. The psalmist said, "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. God created us. He created us for his glory. He wants our worship and adoration, and if we really love him, we'll give it to him. There's a third thing I want you to see it has to do with the remedy. First, the antidote. The beauty of looking at Revelation chapter 2 And reading about the church at Ephesus is the Lord gives them a prescription that will get them back on track. Sometimes we get sick. We go to the doctor, and the doctor will tell us, look, here's what you need. You need to begin taking some antibiotics. If you'll take these for a period of seven days, guess what? You'll be feeling good as new very soon. Here's Jesus. He's saying, you got a problem. you got a heart problem. A problem that has to do with your affection, your love for me. So here's what you need to do. Number one. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Go back. Go back as a child of God. And think about the day that you were baptized into Christ. Do you remember your wedding day? Remember the day you got married? If you have been married, and if you are married, you'll never forget that day. You remember how beautiful the day was. You remember what you remember? You, you remember what your bride, your groom looked like? You remember how happy you were and how joyful you were. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, Paul talks about how we have been married to Christ. When you were baptized into Christ, what you were saying is, I pledge my life to you. That's what you're saying. You're saying. Everything I have, heart, soul, mind, everything belongs to you, Lord. Isn't that what you said when you got married? You said to your mate, you're mine, I'm yours. Till death do us part, richer for poor, sickness, health, good times, bad, whatever it may be, I'm here with you. Till death do we part. So first he's saying, look, you need to remember. Then there's a second part to the antidote. First, he said you need to remember. Secondly, he said you need to repent. Look, if you have a heart problem, here's the remedy. First, remember, do you remember what it was like to be a Christian that first day? You remember when you came up out of the baptistry and you were so happy and joyful to know that all your sins were washed away, that you had this clean start, this new lease on life? When Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me tell you what, some people have lived so long in the gutter that when they came out of the gutter through obedience to the gospel, they were so grateful, so happy, so joyful, so emotionally tied to the Lord. They thought it would never end. Unfortunately, sometimes that love begins to wane. And so, we remember, but then we repent. Sometimes we need to repent of the fact that we just don't love the Lord like we used to. Well, how do I know if I don't love Him like I used to? Because I don't read His Word, because I don't pray, because I don't worship, because I'm not, I'm not doing anything for His cause. Because? I'm just warming a pew, a pew, a bench. I need to repent. And Jesus is saying, Look, if you'll turn back to me, then I'll restore your fellowship. So he said, Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you. And he said, And remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. So they needed to remember, repent, and repeat. In other words, remember what you first did as a child of God? Remember how you you got off to that great start? Just go back. Go back and start doing what you used to do. Listen, I am not a marriage counselor. I have no desire to be a marriage counselor. I have tried... To the best of my ability, and I'm not... And, well, let me just say this. And and I don't have a lot of ability as a marriage counselor. But I have tried to help people who have had marriage problems. I can listen to people. I can tell them what the Bible says, but I'm not a counselor. I don't purport to be a counselor. But it has been my experience through the years... That people who have marriage problems, whatever those problems may be, how severe, no, no matter how severe those problems may be, two people, if they genuinely want to work things out, and as long as a third party is not involved, they can work it out. That, that's been my that's been my history. I'm not saying I've seen it all, but that's just what I have seen. Typically, two people that want to work it out, and they don't have a third party involved, they they can put that marriage back together, and they can live together happily forevermore. Well, in the case of the saints at Ephesus, what Jesus was saying is, we've got a third party involved here. And until that third party gets out of the way, we're not going to be able to reconcile. That third party was probably the world. The world had worked its way in among those members. And they just didn't love the Lord like they used to. Do you remember what John said? Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He said, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, he says, not of the Father, but of the world. And here's what he said, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So they needed to go back and begin doing what they first did as new Christians. Now, by way of analogy, when you first got married, you remember, you remember what you were doing as a couple? The time you spent together? How you, how you shared a lot of time together and how you expressed your love for one another and how you always, always tried to be there for your mate and to do what you could to make them happy? Well, by way of analogy, what the Lord's saying is, you need to go back and do what you once did. Go back to reading my word, go back to praying, go back to serving, go back, go back to thinking about how much you did love me, and work on that love. Love is a learned trait, a learned response. And then very quickly, their reward. Here's what Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All he was saying is this. If you'll do what you're supposed to do, and you'll get your love life back in order, you've got a great reward in heaven. So, what would Jesus say to you? I know what Jesus would say to us about his love Jesus would say I love you and you might ask the question well how much do you love me Lord go back to the cross and you think about how much Jesus loved you and willingly died for your sins and then ask yourself do you love him in return so Jesus is saying to you I love you so would you say to him I love you could you prove your love? Or would he say to you, I got something against you. You don't love me like you used to. The beauty is, if that's, if that's where you are today, it can all be taken care of right now, here, this time, this place, this hour, right now. What would you need to do? Well, do what the Lord said. Remember, repent, and repeat, and you'll have a reward. If you're here today, and maybe you don't love the Lord like you used to, I want you to know there's hope. I want you to know the Lord still loves you. He just wants you to love Him back. If you're here today, and you need to come back, you need to understand the Lord will take you back. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today, and you've never obeyed the gospel, here's what you need to do. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Put that faith in action. As a result of your faith, repent of your sins, confess His name, be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 20 16. God will put you in the church. And if you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. Won't you come as we stand and sing?